Well, let me just say thank you again to each and every one of you uh, for making the effort to be here this morning in person or online as we take time to, as even was mentioned in our prayers, we take time to celebrate our Heavenly Father, as we take time to worship the Lord, as we take time to honor our earthly fathers, what an amazing day it is to be in the house of the Lord. And so uh, I just want to say thank you again for being here. Um, I'm not sure there's a mad dash to the buffets because I'm not sure buffets are open yet. And so uh, you, picked, uh, you made the right choice by being in the Lord's house. Uh, as some of you may know, today is a special day in our household, uh, in the Corcoran household. Not only is it Father's Day, uh, but today is our oldest son, Colby's birthday. And uh, so, uh, yeah, so it's, uh, it, today is, it, I always feel weird when Father's Day lines up on his birthday. And, it, and uh, it's happened four times uh, in his life already. And I did a little research and I've already given him the years that it's going to happen again. It will happen again in 2026. So just get ready. Um, I will encroach upon your birthday once again. But anyway, we are certainly blessed, and I'm a blessed man and so thankful to be here. Well, this morning as we get into God's Word, I simply want to uh, preach to you and teach to you a message that I have simply entitled, A Father's Cry. A Father's Cry. And uh, certainly whether or not your dad... You know, all the ladies, all the kids are like, all right, I'm checking out. He's going to do a message on the Father's cry. Whether you are a dad or not, I believe that God wants the same thing from every one of us. I believe he wants the same thing from every one of us. And I believe that God wants us to have faith. I believe he wants us to exercise trust. I believe God wants us to have love. And I believe that God wants us to depend upon him. I, I really believe that God wants us really probably to depend on him the most even in this day and age in which we live. You see, God wants us to believe him. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to love him. That's why I say that we ought to love God, love his word, and love other people. Oh, he wants us to love and depend upon him. And, and it's not hard to understand, but it seems no matter how easy it is to understand, somehow, some way, we struggle with that, don't we? We struggle with exercising faith. We struggle with trusting the Lord. You know, to trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thy own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge him and he will direct thy path. We struggle with those ideologies. We struggle with falling more in love with God and we struggle to depend on God because quite honestly, we think we can do it all by ourselves. And look at how that, look at what kind of fix it's gotten us into. That's what we've been doing for years and years, trying to figure it out all on our own. But to this morning, as we'll see in our text, the Lord always honors dads, moms, young people. The Lord always honors true faith. He honors true faith, not only in our lives, but do you know that God will actually honor your faith in the life of, in the life of someone else? You can go to the throne of God's grace and his mercy and find help in your time of need. Not only for yourselves, not only for myself, but we can go to his throne and pray to the Father through the Son and he will honor and recognize your faith on behalf of somebody else. What a great God we serve. Thank you, Regina. What a great God we serve. Oh my goodness. I put in my notes that we need to remind ourselves that our faith is only as strong as the object of our faith. Think about that for a second. Our faith is only as strong as the object of our faith. This past week, I had the misfortune of placing my faith in a small step stool ladder in my home. Some of you chuckle because you probably know what it took place. I exercised faith in that uh, little object and, uh, well, needless to say, I found myself on the ground. And the rest of the week I have spent regretting placing my faith in that little stepstool. Now, some of you say, well, it wasn't a stepstool's fault, it was your fault. 
It was driver error. I'm sure Larry's thinking that right now. <laughs> it wasn't your fault. It, was, it wasn't the stool's fault. It was yours. But this is the thing. Misplaced faith is no different. Think about it like this. If I place my faith or you place your faith in your abilities, you only get as far as your abilities can take you. By the way, God gave you your abilities. If I place my faith in my wisdom... Uh, or our wisdom, we only go as far as our wisdom can take us. But when you and I exercise faith in God and what God can do, that's a whole different story. And what's really neat is if you'll take your Bible this morning, turn to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, we find such a story of faith in Matthew chapter 9 from an unlikely, unlikely uh, person in Scripture. And so I want us to look at a short story. It's not only found in Matthew chapter 9, also found in Mark chapter 5 and Luke chapter 8, but we're going to look at the shortest uh, version of this story. And the people of God said, we're going to look at the short. <laughs> that's the, man, that's when you can always get an amen when you say you're looking at the shortest version of any story. Uh, but Matthew gives us the most concise, if you please, version of this story. But notice with me beginning in verse number 18. In verse number 18, what the Word of God has to say, the Bible says, While he spake these things unto them, behold, there came a certain ruler and worshipped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. And Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. Now, what you're going to find in the next few verses is there's a little break in our story, but notice the Bible continues in verse 20. And behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood 12 years came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. For she said within herself, If I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. But Jesus turned him about. And when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. Now continue with our story, verse 23. And when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the minstrels and the people making noise, he said unto them, Give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when the people were put forth, he went in, and he took her by the hand, and the maid arose. And the fame hereof went abroad into all that land." Oh, what a Savior we serve. Let's join our hearts in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the time that we've had to sing songs of praise and honor and glory to your holy name today. And Lord, we're grateful for dads this morning. I'm thankful for my father this morning. I'm thankful that he's a man of God. I'm thankful that he loves you with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his mind, and with all of his strength. And Lord, I pray that you'll bless him today. I pray that you'll bless my brothers and, and their families today and certainly each and every one in this, in this room this morning. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you the praise for that. But Lord, I pray that today as we look at the simple cry of a father, that if there is a need that is unknown, if there is a need that's not been spoken, that today you might reach down from the very portals of heaven and meet that very special need. Lord, I pray that if there's a dad, if there's a mom, if there's a young person, grandpa or grandma, aunt or uncle, God, if there's someone here that has never trusted Christ, if there's somebody watching online and worshiping with us who has never trusted Christ as their Savior, that through a simple story, a lesson about a father's cry, that today might be the day in which they cry out for the forgiveness of sin and life everlasting. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all the things that we can learn through it. God, I pray that you'll be with me, that you'll speak through my lips, and God, that you'll use your word to accomplish exactly what you desire today. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you the praise for it. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus, and for his sake, all of God's people said, amen and amen. Well, here in our passage, you're going to see that we have a father's cry for help. Now, let me ask you, question here in the room. I can't see your response online, but how many fathers have ever cried for help? Mm, I'm looking for the father that says he's never cried for help. 
We've all cried out for help at some time, uh, one shape uh, or, or another, whether you were crying out to God for help or whether you were crying for some other man or woman or child to help you. We have all been there when we have had times in our lives when we've cried out for help. And this story is no different. And like I said, this story is shared in greater detail in Mark chapter 5 and Luke chapter 8. And in both of those Gospels, what we don't find in Matthew's Gospel, but in Mark and Luke's passage, what we find is that we find that the father's name is a man by the name of Jairus. Jairus is the man that we're talking about. And and to be honest, uh, Mark and Luke's Gospel reveals that Jairus is a ruler of the synagogue. Now let that start to sink in. This man is a ruler of the synagogue. He oversees the administration of the local synagogue there in Capernaum. He's, uh, his position is an elected position. Uh, he is a Jewish official. Uh, he would have been a man who's highly respected. He would have been someone who was capable. He was someone who quite honestly, was most likely because of his position in the synagogue, he was probably very popular. This man by the name of Jairus wielded great power in the synagogue. After all, as the one who oversaw the administration of the synagogue, Jairus would have been responsible for determining who would teach, who would preach, so to speak, the word of God in the synagogue. In essence... When we look at Jairus, he's one of the most important, one of the most influential men in this community. And what we see is Jairus' cry for help. You see, beyond his official capacities, as the story tells us very quickly, Jairus is also a dad. He's got a daughter at home and she is sick. And so we see immediately that Jairus is also a man of strong love. He loves his daughter so much that he goes to Jesus. But we also see that he's also a man of strong courage. Can you think about it with me for a second? Jairus is the ruler of the synagogue. Rulers of synagogues don't go to uh, teachers. And this is what Jesus is addressed as master in this passage. uh, A doctor, a teacher, an instructor, if you please. And so for Jairus to actually go to Jesus was a little bit taboo, and so he went against uh, religious, um, the religious opinion of the day, so to speak. And he goes to Jesus, he, he, by the way, there's other guys in, in those Jewish circles of that day that were violent towards Jesus. And yet out of desperation, what we see is this father, he goes against the tide of public opinion. He goes against what he knows as the ruler of the synagogue. And he literally goes uh, to Jesus, to the only one who he felt could help him in his need. So this is a wonderful story of a father's cry. But let's notice some things very quickly about Jairus. And uh, there, listen, you're not going to have to turn a lot in Scripture because I want us to zero in on verse number 18 because you can see a lot of details in this one verse. And you'll see it here in just a second. So let's notice some things about this man Jairus. First of all, notice his hopelessness. Notice his hopelessness in verse number 18. The Bible says, While he spake these things unto them, behold, there came a certain ruler and worshipped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. Now, I was doing some research earlier this week, and it's been said that hopelessness is the despair, watch this, it's the despair that you and I feel when you and I have abandoned all hope of comfort and success. This man, this ruler of the synagogue, has abandoned all hope of comfort and success, so much so that he goes to the most unlikely of of resources in his life. He would have never reached out to Jesus until this moment. The tides come crashing in, and we find that Jairus goes to Jesus. And this is exactly how Jairus felt. His situation seemed hopeless, and so he literally goes. And if you read verse number 18 again, 
He actually interrupts Jesus while Jesus is preaching and teaching. He doesn't wait for Jesus to say amen. He doesn't stop. He doesn't wait for the, uh, for the group meeting to end. He goes to him, it says, and while he spake these things from Jesus in the midst of teaching, and here comes Jairus, and he says, hey, listen, let me do something. And he gets down, and he worships Jesus, and he says, you got to come. you got to come because my daughter is sick. Oh, listen, if we're honest with one another, I believe there's been periods of time in our lives when things may have seemed to be hopeless at first glance. Has anybody ever dealt with a situation that felt or seemed hopeless? Oh my goodness, you may be dealing with a situation right now that seems hopeless. In fact, as we look around our country, you may get the idea that things seem hopeless, but folks, Jesus is still on his throne. He's still in control. I was reading another gentleman's commentary and he was he was talking about this idea of hopelessness and here's what he said he said hopelessness rears its ugly head without warning isn't that true it rears its ugly head without warning it's not like you get a call and 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 you're like hello and it says hello my name is hopelessness I'm about ready to crash your life no we don't get a call like that it just happens And folks, I don't know how people who are not connected to Jesus deal with it. I'll be real honest. I don't know how they deal with it because hopelessness, it robs us of life. It depletes our motivation. It can deplete your joy for living. I've done counseling before with people who are struggling with depression, and it started with hopelessness. They didn't feel any hope. They didn't feel they had lost uh, any hope of comfort or success. Oh, Ultimately, hopelessness seeks to steal our desire to succeed. And like the devil himself, it's a a thief. To be honest with you, hopelessness is like a thief that comes, you know, as John 10 says, it's like a thief that comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. Oh, Mark and Luke's Gospels tell us something else about Jairus' daughter. They tell us that this is his only child and that she is 12 years old. This is a 12-year-old girl, and Jairus is beside himself. He comes to Jesus, and he says, My daughter is even yet dead. She's dying right before my eyes. In fact, she may already be dead. With me coming here, she's dead, and I need you to stop what you're doing, and I need you to come. I need you to lay your hand on her. Oh, his hopelessness was real. And folks, you have to grasp the gravity of the situation by coming, by approaching Jesus, Jairus was risking ridicule. He was risking censorship and hostility from his peers. And to be quite honest, he's probably risking his position. He's risking his position as a ruler of the synagogue. But he simply doesn't care. I was reading in Scripture and I, I was thinking about a principle that we see over in Luke chapter 9. In Luke chapter 9, there's a principle I think that would be good for us to see. In verse 23 and following, Scripture says this, And he said to them all, this is Jesus getting ready to speak. He said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Watch this. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. Jairus was risking all that he knew by going to Jesus. But his situation was hopeless, and he wanted to go to Jesus. Look at verse 25. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. Oh, listen, Jairus' need was immediate. His need was urgent. And folks, I want you to see this in Scripture. He wasn't concerned about his own life. As a father, he was concerned about his daughter's life. And that's what dads do. That's what dads do. When push comes to shove, dad becomes the martyr. Dad does whatever he has to do because of his children. And this is exactly what Jairus does. His hopeless and his helpless cry could not be ignored by Jesus In fact, look at verse number 19. Look at verse number 19. It says, And Jesus arose and followed him 
And so did his disciples. Not only does Jesus get up, but his disciples, can you see? The disciples are like, whoop, he's on the move, let's go. He doesn't even take time to say anything. He doesn't question the man. He doesn't say, well, how sick is your daughter? He doesn't say, well, how, um, what are her symptoms? He doesn't say, uh, does she have this? Does she have this? Um, what precipitated her illness? By the way, he's Jesus. He already knows. He's God. He's the great physician. He doesn't need to ask those questions. And you may be dealing with a situation that seems hopeless. And I want you to know, Jesus isn't up in heaven wanting to ask a bunch of questions. He's waiting to see how you're going to respond to the hopeless situation. Are you going to cry out like Jairus? Or are you going to continue to wallow in your situation? Maybe you're feeling hopeless this morning. I want to encourage you to do what Jairus did. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus today. Don't stop. Don't let anything get in the way. It doesn't matter. You come to Jesus. If you need to be saved, I encourage you. You come now while I'm preaching. It doesn't matter. You come to Jesus. There's a principle also in John chapter 6, and I wasn't even going to put this up because it's really dealing contextually in a different format. But in John 6, 37, I think there's a principle that we can really grasp onto. And Jesus says, And all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Do you see the principle? We're not, I understand that passage is talking about those that come to Christ for the forgiveness of sin and he'll no wise cast them out of the, of, the, of the fold. But I think we see a greater picture too that when we come to Christ, he's not going to cast you away. He's not going to push you aside. Oh, listen, if your situation is hopeless, come to Jesus. This is what we see in Jairus' situation. But notice, notice also in verse 18, look at his attitude. He's not, his situation isn't only hopeless. Look at his attitude. In verse number 18, the Bible says, And while he spake these things unto them, behold, there came a certain ruler, and notice what he does, and worshipped him. Can you imagine this? His daughter is even yet dead. I was thinking this morning as I was reading through my text, I didn't put it in my notes, but God just was speaking in my, my heart this morning. I was thinking about a, about a month and a half ago. Remember, we were doing the Dealing with the Devil series. And I was thinking about how after Satan was given permission to attack the fruit of everything in Job's life, his barns, his flocks, his children and everything, you remember the first thing that Job did, right? He worships God. And so what we see here is whether Jairus understands it all or not at this moment, we see that he comes and he worships Jesus. A religious ruler of the day is worshiping Jesus. Oh, what a picture. Mark and Luke actually tell us that Jairus, he actually falls down on his face in respect and in humility. He falls down to worship Jesus. Jairus is a distinguished man. He's an elected official who's not hated, but he's highly respected. He's a ruler of the synagogue. He oversees the administrative responsibilities of the most important Jewish institution in the city. And here we find, can you imagine people seeing this guy? This, can you see the picture? People probably got bug-eyed when Jairus comes and he falls down and he's worshiping Jesus. Oh my gracious, what an attitude of humility we see. Instead of fearing what others may say, Jairus, he humbles himself. He comes to Jesus and he worships Jesus. Dad, dads, listen, this needs to be your attitude. This needs to be my attitude. We need to come to Jesus. We need to humble ourselves. We need to fall down before the feet of Jesus and cry out for help. Maybe your daughter isn't dying this morning, but I guarantee you one thing. Jesus is waiting to hear from us today. Oh, a father's cry. How important is it? Oh, listen, James chapter 4 and verse number 6 reminds us that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Oh, my gracious men, women, young people, humble yourselves before the sight of God. And the Bible says he will lift you up in due season. Oh, listen, attitude. I'm I'm big on attitude. 
Attitude is so incredibly important because it determines our actions. Listen, if you're, if you're a glass is half empty person, uh, I want to encourage you to turn it around and become a glass is half full person. Attitude is so incredibly important. Can you imagine what Jairus would have done if he had a glass is half full attitude? If he had an attitude of defeat, you know what he would have done? He'd have gone over there, and I don't know where else I could sit. He'd have sat down at home and just thought, well, ain't nothing I can do about her. Daughter's going to die. Okay. No, he got up. He said, I got to go to the only person that I can go to. And he went to Jesus. He had an attitude of humility, an attitude of worship. And here's something I put in my notes that I think is really cool. Jairus, he wasn't trying to get the greatest father of the year award. It wasn't like he said, hey, let me become the greatest father of the year. I'll go to Jesus. That isn't what he was trying to do. He was just trying to be the best dad he could be. He was trying to go to the only one that he knew that he could go to to pray and get help for his daughter. In Matthew chapter 18, in verses 1 and following, the Bible, God's word tells us this. It says, at the same time came the disciples unto Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom? Of heaven, You remember this discussion, don't you? They all wanted to know who was going to be greatest. A couple of them even brought mom along. Mom, can you, can you bake some chocolate chip cookies for Jesus? Maybe he'll make us the greatest. Mom, make him some of that good old banana bread that you make. Give it to Jesus. No, that isn't what happened in this story. I'm being facetious. facetious. Look at verse 2. And Jesus called a little child. The simplicity of our Savior is amazing. He calls a little child. He's like, he's like, come here. He calls a little child and set him in the midst of them and said, watch these words, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall, watch these words, humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Oh, my friends, it was in his humility. It was in the respect and the humility that he showed Jesus that Jairus was actually setting an example of being the greatest in Jesus' kingdom. He actually sets an example, even to those who despise Jesus. So I simply say, what about us, dads? What about us? What's our attitude like? Are we, are we men walking around with a high and mighty attitude? Are we men walking around thinking that, that we're smarter than everybody else? Do we think that our abilities are better than anybody else? I got news for you. If you're smarter, if you got greater abilities than me or anybody else, it's only because God looked upon you with, with mercy and gave you that grace, that ability, or that wisdom to use for his honor. And for his glory. Oh, I put down, we will never know the full extent of Jesus' mercy, what it's all about until we as dads, until we as moms, grandpa, grandma, aunts, uncles, young people, until we humble ourselves as little children. Oh, the seemingly hopeless seasons of life, they come. I've been through them. Probably got some more coming my way. That's just the way things happen. But the hopeless seasons of life, sometimes they include severe illnesses. Let me give you the, the bad news. Sometimes seasons of hopelessness include severe illnesses. Sometimes terrible troubles come our way. Anybody been through some trouble before in your life? They come our way. That just happens. Sometimes the loss of a loved one. Thank you for singing No More Night. Sometimes the loss of a loved one, a family member, a friend, a neighbor. But this passage reminds us, folks, that despair is not to be our answer in desperate times. Let me say that again. Despair is not to be our answer in desperate times. Oh, listen, we need to be careful about what type of attitude we're wielding. Oh, we must be willing to shed our negativity. We must be willing to humble ourselves enough 
to come to the only one who can heal us, who can heal our family, who can heal our friends, who can heal this church, who can heal this community, who can heal this state, who can heal this country. And I could go on all day and heal this world. His name, you know what it is? It's Jesus. Hold on, let me, his name is Jesus. Do you believe that? Let me ask you, do you believe that here this morning? Do you believe that Jesus can heal your need? Do you believe that Jesus can heal our community? Do you believe Jesus can heal this country? I think he can. Oh, listen, we just need to be the salt and light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. Oh, we must let his light shine. Oh, the situation for Jairus seemed hopeless. The attitude of Jairus was one of worship. But I also see his request in verse number 18. Look at his request. It's really straightforward and simple. He says, my daughter is even now dead. But he says these words. He says, but come and lay. He says, come and lay thy hand upon her. That's all he says. He said, just come and lay thy hand upon her. He says, I believe that you have the power, the ability, that if you'll just come to my house, and you will lay your hand upon my daughter that she's going to live. This is his request to Jesus. Have you ever made a simple request like that? Just come. Just come and lay your hand on somebody. Like the healing hand on somebody. Oh, this is his request. Mark and Luke's Gospels actually tell us that Jairus' daughter was at the point of death. Matthew says she's even now dead. And so uh, Matthew, remember, it's a more concise uh, version of this. And so uh, the reality is there's no, there's no discrepancy here in what Matthew says. It's just alluding to the fact that she is dying, she may have already died, or she's about to die. And so he calls out to Jesus. But what does Scripture tell us? What does Scripture tell us? In Philippians chapter 4, in verse number 6, the Bible says, Be careful for what? Nothing. There's nothing too big. There's nothing too small that we shouldn't go to the throne of God's grace. He says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. You know, there's no doubt in my once military mind, there's no doubt that Jairus would have heard all about Jesus healing people. And so Jairus says to himself, he says, hold on. I might not be the sharpest tool in the shed, but the fame of this man, this teacher, has gone all over the known world, and he's close by. I would be an idiot if I did not go to him. And so he humbles himself. He doesn't consider his own position as being more important than his daughter. He doesn't concern himself with what people will say to him. He doesn't concern himself with his own fame or his own glory. He humbles himself and he goes to Jesus and he makes the simple request. He says, I just want you to come. And if you'll just lay your hand on her, that's all I want you to do. I don't need you to come speak any words of hocus pocus. I don't need you to do anything. Just come because I believe that if you come and if you lay your hand on her, my daughter will live. And this was his request. I think about David. <laughs> David, who was on the run a lot in the early years from Saul. In Psalm 142, in verse number 1, while in the cave, hiding. This is what David says. He says, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. And with my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. Jairus' prayer request is straightforward. He doesn't waste a lot of time. He doesn't waste a lot of words. He simply says, hey, listen, my daughter's dying, and I need you to come, and I need you to lay your hand on her. Amen. That was his prayer. My daughter's dying. I know that you can do it. Come and lay your hand on her. This was his prayer. And the Lord got up, and he started following Jairus. Isn't, isn't that what the Lord told Jeremiah in Jeremiah 33 and verse number 3? He said, call unto me, and I will answer thee, and I will show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. The reason sometimes we don't see great and mighty things is because we don't take time to call on the Lord. We don't take time to call on the Lord. We're too busy giving everybody our own opinion instead of giving people God's opinion. Oh, that's a different message for a different time. 
Oh, listen, the simple story surrounding Jairus' request reminds me, and I hope it reminds you, that we must be ready and willing to ask Jesus to do what only Jesus can do. Has anybody read James chapter 5 lately? Because in James 5, in verse number 15, the Bible reminds me that the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. In, J- in James 5, 16, the Bible tells me that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, it does what? It avails much. Oh, yes. We see the hopeless situation. We see Jairus's, his attitude of humility and worship, and we see his request is short and simple. But notice, above it all, I see his faith. I see Jairus's faith above all. Notice Jairus's situation definitely seems hopeless, but his faith is what leads him to Jesus. He worships him in humility. He makes his hopeless request known. And then what does Jairus do? As soon as he says to Jesus, he starts walking home. He's confidently believing that Jesus is following him and that Jesus is going to do exactly what he said he would do. By the way, I'm not sure Jairus needed to lead the way. I'm guessing Jesus already knew where Jairus lived. Think about that again. Not only does he know everything uh, about the daughter's condition, he probably already knew where old Jairus lived. And so we see his faith being exercised. In verse number 18, he says, If you just come and lay your hands, she shall live. And this is the faith that you and I must have. That's what Hebrews 11 in verse number 1 says, Now then faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Oh, we must believe that Jesus can. We must believe that Jesus will meet our desperate needs. Jairus, I put in my notes, Jairus was driven by the tragic moment of impact. He was driven by the tragic moment of impact of his daughter's impending death. And folks, as sad as it may seem, and it is sad, Sometimes, now watch this, sometimes God allows and uses tragedy to bring us to his own son. Now let that sink in. Sometimes God uses and allows tragedy in order to bring us to his only begotten son. Why? Because he so loved the world, right? And he wants to have a relationship with us through his son. Romans 8 and verse 28 still reminds us that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them that are called according to his purpose. Oh, when the mountains of tragedy come crashing down on us, Jesus in Matthew chapter 21, in fact, in verse 21, he's talking about moving mountains, but he gives us the requirement in verse number 22 of Matthew 21. He says, here's the requirement, and all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, watch, it's one word right there, you see it? Believing. He said, in all things believing, ye shall receive. Listen, I don't want to, I don't want to give any undue press or publicity, but there's a song that used to say, you got to have faith, faith, faith. You got to have faith. Folks, when you make a prayer request, you better have some faith. You better believe that Jesus can do what he says he can do. Jairus exercised faith. In John chapter 14, Jesus said to his disciples, and whatsoever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Listen, the rest of the story, if you were to read over in Mark chapter 5 and uh, uh, verses 35 and following in Luke chapter 8, you'll see that uh, a messenger comes from Jairus' house in those versions and those passages uh, communicating the same story. And the messenger comes running, right? After Jesus has dealt with the woman who's been diseased, uh, a blood disease of 12 years, Here comes a messenger, and the messenger says, Hey, leave the master alone. Your daughter's already dead. They come and they tell Jairus, Just leave him alone. He doesn't need to come anymore because she already died. But Jesus actually uses the messenger that comes to discourage Jairus as a way to bolster Jairus' faith. 
in Mark chapter 5 and verse 36, and then in Luke chapter 8 and verse number 50, Jesus says these, these two phrases. Let me read them to you. 536, be not afraid, only believe. They say, hey, don't bother the master anymore. She's already dead. And he says, be not afraid, only believe. In Luke's gospel, here's what Jesus says. He says, fear not. Don't be, don't, don't be a man of fear. You're exercising faith. Don't let fear overcome your faith. Faith needs to overcome fear. He says, fear not. He says, believe only. And then notice he gives him a promise. He says, believe only and she shall be made whole. Dads are, and men in general, men in general. Dads and men in general are usually all about power tools. Ugh. Got me a cordless, whatever. <laughs> got, me, got me the latest chainsaw. Ring, 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 ring. Man, you ought to see that weed eater I got. I got me a new snowblower. Man, I just, all I need now is it to snow. <laughs> all I need now is some snow. I'm ready to go. Men are all about power tools. And there's some ladies who are about power tools too. Can I encourage you all this morning by saying that faith Faith is the most powerful tool you can have in the bag. Faith is the most powerful tool you can have in the bag. When tragedy strikes, when desperate times come, when hopeless situations arise in your heart and in your life, faith is going to be the most powerful tool, the most powerful weapon in your, in your arsenal. And if you don't have faith, I encourage you to get some today. Trust Jesus. Come to Jesus today and get a little faith. Faith is not allow. By the way, faith will not allow you to turn away from Jesus when things get rough. Faith will cause you to go towards Jesus. Unbelief. Unbelief causes us to turn and walk away. Faith causes us to believe things that we don't even know or see. Oh, that's what somebody has said. Somebody much smarter than me said, faith is taking the first step before God reveals the second. Oh, it's a most powerful tool. We must adapt the mindset of Job. You remember Job? He was going through it all. And he said these words. He says in, in Job chapter 13 and verse number 15, he said, though he slay me, yet, yet will I trust in him. After patiently waiting for Jesus to address this woman with the blood issue, we find in verse 23, look at verse 23, we find that they get to Jairus' house and uh, when they get there, notice what they find. Look at verse 23. And when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the minstrels and the people making noise, he said unto them, this is hilarious. He says, give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. Now, I was doing my due diligence and reading a number of commentaries. And one commentator said that when Jesus said those words, give place, this is hilarious. It was like Jesus was saying, be gone. Get out of here with your bad music and your screams and cries of grief. You see, wealthy Jewish people would have hired people to come and mourn. There would have been people, as soon as this girl was pronounced dead, there would have been people coming, looking for a paycheck to mourn over this girl. And Jesus comes and he says, get out of here with your bad music. Get out of here with your lack of faith. Because fear is not going to win the day. Grief is not going to win the day because this girl's father is a man of faith and he's asked me to come. He's asked me to place my hand on her and he believes that if I do this, she shall live. So he says, get out of here. And then if you notice, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story in one little verse, in verse number 25, notice the Bible says, but when the people were put forth, he went in and he took her by the hand and the maid what does it say? She arose. Praise the Lord, she arose. He went in, he takes her by the hand, and she, she arose. In Mark and Luke's gospel, it says that Jesus actually said, arise. He basically talks to a dead girl, much like he did Lazarus. He says, arise. And the girl's like, oh, okay. 
Jesus is commanding me to arise. And he says this to the girl, and she gets up, and I say, why would he do that? Why would he go? Why would he grab the girl by the hand? Why would she get up? Why would he tell her in Mark's gospel and Luke's gospel to arise? It's real simple. Because of a father's cry and because of a father's faith. Dads, and quite honestly, everybody in this room and everybody listening online, I want to encourage you, it's time. It's time to stand up for Jesus. It's time to stand up for Jesus. We are living in desperate times. The need has never been greater than before. It's time to quit crying out in fear. It's time to start crying out in faith. It's time to cast our care on him because he cares for us. It's time to tell other people about the love, about the truth, and about the power of Jesus because Jesus is all that we need. I was excited about it. I was getting all wound up. He's all we need. Quit looking elsewhere for your help. Jesus is the one who can touch and meet our most desperate needs of all. And by the way, like I said at the beginning of the message, not only will he meet your most desperate needs, but if you'll go to him in prayer, in humility and respect, and if you'll cry out to him much like Jairus did, he'll not only take care of your desperate needs, He's been known to take care of the desperate needs of others. How crazy is that? God actually will help somebody else because you and I get on our knees and pray to him and ask him to do that. Ask him in faith, believing that he will do that. Oh yes, Jairus wasn't afraid to go to Jesus. The situation was desperate. Men, I don't know if the situation in your home is desperate or not. But I want to encourage you, just go to Jesus. I'm not saying don't go to your wife, because she who must be obeyed still must be obeyed. That's what I always tell Krista, she who must be obeyed. But I'm telling you, go to Jesus. You'll never go wrong as a man if you'll go to Jesus. Jairus wasn't afraid to go to Jesus. He wasn't afraid to bring Jesus into his home. The lesson reminds me that our Lord will never turn away his ears from our humble requests. Jairus said, come, and Jesus came. And men, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to make Jesus the head of your home. Do you hear me? Don't be afraid to make Jesus the head of your home. By the way, I do a lot of counseling. I do premarital counseling, I do marriage counseling, I do individual counseling, and I'm going to use something that I talk about a lot. Men, you cannot lead your family until you love your family. You cannot lead your family well until you love your family well, and you cannot love your family well until you lead your family well. Now think on that the rest of the day. That's a little mind twister, isn't it? What I'm talking about, if I'm going to lead and love my family well, then I must be a man that's willing to go to Jesus. I must be a man that's willing to invite Jesus into my home. You see, because when my wife, when my children see that Jesus is important to dad, then guess what? Verily, verily, somehow, some way, Jesus' power, it becomes important to her. It just happens. I'm just telling you. We must love our families well and lead our family well. He wasn't afraid to go to Jesus. He wasn't afraid to bring him into his home. And lastly, men don't be afraid because Jairus wasn't afraid to trust Jesus with the outcome. Yes, he, she's even dead. He says, my daughter's probably dead by now. He says, but guess what? I need you to come. I need you to lay your hand on her because I believe that if you'll do that, she'll live. And even after the messengers came and said, it's over, bro. It's over. Your daughter's gone. She's gone. Don't bother the master. Don't bother this instructor, this doctor, this teacher any longer. It's over. Jesus says, don't be afraid. He says, fear not. Just keep on believing. Just keep on believing. Just keep on believing. And in Luke's gospel, remember, he said, and she will be made whole. Oh, listen, men, don't, don't be afraid to trust Jesus with the outcome, the ritual of his religious responsibilities didn't get in Jairus's way. Don't allow the rituals of your life, don't allow anything in your life to get in the way of allowing Jesus to take control of your situation. 
In this story, Jesus left the opportunity to preach and teach in order to meet the desperate needs of this, watch this, one man. You know the story about the 99 and 1. I've been seeing it circulate all over the internet. Example right here in Scripture. Jesus had an opportunity. He was preaching and teaching others. In the midst of preaching and teaching, Jairus comes to Jesus. Jesus goes, leaves the group that he was preaching and teaching to, and he says, I got, I got someone here who's exercising a little bit of faith, and I'm going to honor that faith. I'll talk to you guys later. Oh, listen, oh, my friends, he'll do the same for you today. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to go to Jesus. Don't be afraid to bring him into your home, and don't be afraid to trust him with the outcome. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the time that we've had this morning to look at a wonderful passage of Scripture, really, that reminds us of so many things. And Lord, really, to uncover it all, it would take hours upon hours, really, to see all the details of what it must have been like for that man, Jairus, to go against the, the tide of religious opinion, to go against the tide of public opinion, and to come and seek the Savior. Maybe there's someone here today, somebody watching online, that has been struggling with something that seems hopeless. Father, I pray that you'll give us all strength to put the cares of this world aside and to come to Jesus. Whatever the situation, there's nothing too small, nothing too big that our Lord and our Savior can't handle it. Oh yes, we are thankful for this story. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody that needs to trust Christ, that they'll simply call out upon the name of the Lord, ask the Lord to forgive them of their own sinfulness, that they'll ask the Lord to come into their life and to begin to change them from the inside out. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody here that already knows Christ, but has been struggling in their walk of faith, struggling with unbelief, struggling with what to say, with what to think, with what to do, that today they would make the decision to come to Jesus, to recommit themselves they would make that decision that says, Lord, I don't understand, but Lord, I'm going to trust you. I want to bring you into my home. I want to allow you to be the Lord of the home. I want you to take over the reins of this mess. Lord, I know that if you'll do that, that you'll make something beautiful out of it. Lord, I pray that you'll give men and women and young people boldness today. The Bible says we can boldly come before your throne. God, I pray that you'll give us boldness today as we seek your face and give you the praise that you so richly deserve. During this time of invitation, Lord, we pray and ask it in Jesus' precious name and for his sake. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.